0: Greetings to you all. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowler's podcast part of your day. Those tunes that you just heard are, as always, courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in Maine, just two miles east of the mouth of the Saco River. The topic at hand is the Wood Island Lighthouse. Now this lighthouse is Maine's second oldest, with the Portland Head Lighthouse being first. And it's the nation's 11th oldest lighthouse, so that's pretty awesome. Now this lighthouse light itself is 71 feet above the water. The beacon is automated, going green and then white, green and then white, every 10 seconds. Wood Island is 35 acres, and the lighthouse was made under the orders of President Thomas Jefferson. The 8th day of March, 1806, it was authorized of the Treasury to, quote, Cause a good and sufficient lighthouse to be erected on Wood Island or on Fletcher's Neck in the District of Maine and to appoint a keeper and otherwise provide for such lighthouse at the expense of the United States. Unquote. Eventually, eight acres of land is purchased by a group of people for the grand total of $104. That was back in 1806. Today, that's the cost of $2,530. In 1807, two gentlemen named Benjamin and Duncan succeed in getting a contract to build a wooden lighthouse, along with an accompanying one-story dwelling. They are constructed that very year, but will be an operative lighthouse not until the following year, which is 1808. Benjamin Cole will be the very first lighthouse keeper for Wood Island, but he only lasts about a year, if that. He is then succeeded by Philip Goldthwaite, and he and his family live on this small island for 23 years, up until his death in 1832. In 1838, the lighthouse receives a very much-needed facelift, A new rubble stone tower replacing the old wooden tower is constructed, and also the one-story dwelling is rebuilt. But it was so poorly constructed that not even five years after being redone, the plaster is coming apart and falling down, and the windows are leaking. Seeing that this is a lighthouse and the duties it's responsible for, this is rather unacceptable. In 1842, Keeper John Adams provides the following information regarding the station. I was appointed keeper of this light July 6, 1841, upon a salary of $350, worth $11,940 today. This island contains about 30 acres of land, six of which belong to the government. My dwelling house is built of rough stone with... Brick gables. It leaks about the windows and chimneys. The plastering, too, had dropped off of one chamber completely, and also in several other parts of the house. There is no floor to the cellar, which is always muddy and wet, the water from the sink leading into it, the joints of the masonry want pointing, being filled now with sand instead of mortar. The house was built by J. Berry of East Thomaston. A barn was erected here by the late keeper, also a fence and stone wall. On leaving here, he demanded of me two hundred dollars for the barn, fifty cents a rod for the walls and fence. He also claims a portion of the old keeper's house, which he cut off there from and converted into a cowhouse and pigsty. He also cut off and carried away last year all the hay growing upon the island after I received my appointment. I bought one and a half tons of him for the feed of my cow at the rate of $14 per ton. Keeper Abraham Norwood has since complained of me because I declined buying the barn, the cow wing, fencing, and other improvements. Unquote. Can I say what a royal pain in the ass this guy is? And I feel for this man. Here he is taking this position of being the brand new lighthouse keeper, a very serious and somewhat stressful position, and then he has to deal with a load of this steaming pile of bullshit. With this major inconvenience set aside, it is always fascinating to me to see these journal entries of these lighthouse keepers. Every time I do an episode about a lighthouse, I do try to find these journal entries, at least one or two. And it's like the things that they go through, it's like, oh my goodness. And being a lighthouse keeper and living at the lighthouse on an island can't be easy. I can only imagine. You can't just walk outside and walk to the store, perhaps hop in the old car and go to a movie or go out to dinner with a friend. Easy things that you and I could do now, you just couldn't do when you're living on an island where there's like usually just a lighthouse. Or you could go for a nature walk. Well, you could, but if you go too far, you'll end up in the water. And this poor fellow lighthouse keeper, John Adams, when he's not dealing with the unprofessional former lighthouse keeper, he's having to deal with the leaky home. So, as we see, it was very much in need for a makeover, and like pronto, like yesterday. In 1854, a third wood lighthouse would be constructed, standing at 47 feet, being built much better than the second, as this is the one that you see to this very day. A second story was also added to the dwelling in 1906, I believe. Now, in 1873, a pyramidal fog bell tower is placed next to the tower, which is housed, at the time, a 1,315-pound cast-still bell. Like, wow, I'd love to see that bad boy. <laughs> now, I wish I could say that leaky windows and plaster falling was the worst thing that could happen here, but compared to what I'm about to share with you, mm-hmm. The leaky stuff is walking the park. In 1896, a gentleman named Frederick Milliken, he is part-time Bidford pool sheriff. When Fred wasn't on duty, he was most often on the water as he was an avid fisherman. He had a huge heart and he went out of his way to help others. Didn't matter if he was on duty or not, it was just in his nature. Now, unfortunately, it is because of his good nature and wanting to help people that he will meet his untimely death. Two drifters, they come to town. They beg the sheriff to rent out his chicken coop to them. What was supposed to be a short stay, well, it turns into several months. The sheriff gave an inch, and the drunk drifters... Kind of sounds like a band name, right? The crowd goes wild for the drunk drifters! Ah! Anyways, these two men, Howard Hobbs and William Moses, well, they're given an inch, but they take a damn mile, perhaps several more. They take advantage of Frederick's generosity, and they don't even pay him the rent that they promise. A bold move as they are now squatters, and he is a lawman. One fateful June evening in 1896... Sheriff Milliken, he runs into the two men in town. They are beyond intoxicated, and he asks the men to meet him at his home so they can have a little chat. Guess what the topic of conversation is? Uh, duh, not paying rent. They obviously have the money for enough booze to get two grown men beyond decently buzzed and into a drunken stupor on a nightly basis. But, yeah, they can't pay any money towards their rent. For if it weren't for the sheriff opening his home to these two ungrateful men, they would surely be, uh, I don't know, homeless? Enough is enough. He's tired of being the nice cop, and the mean cop is about to come out. The men, well, they do as they're told, they come over to the house. They don't come alone, though, as Hobbs brings a date, a beauty known as the Rifle. The sheriff tries to talk some sense into this drunk man, telling Hobbs to hand over his weapon, that he doesn't need that. They're just here to talk. Well, the intoxicated man begins to wave around the rifle, telling the sheriff that it's not even loaded. Don't worry about it, yada, yada. The part-time sheriff reaches for the rifle, and during this struggle, the supposed unloaded weapon fires. It shoots him right in the stomach. And I wish I could say death was instant, but it wasn't. He died about an hour later. And I could only imagine that hour probably felt like an eternity. Basically knowing you're going to die and you're just dealing with this pain and just the shock and horror of what took place. And the desperate will and need to survive. But it's a horrific battle that you will lose. Sheriff Milliken's wife is at home during the time of the shooting, and she witnesses the brutal attack on her husband. Now it's said that after shooting him, Hobbs, he's in shock. He repeatedly apologizes. He genuinely looks shocked at what happened. He did not mean for this to happen. Why have the rifle with you then, my friend? That's all I gotta say. Desperate to find help. Hobbs the shooter runs to the Wood Island lighthouse, which is close by, where he runs into the lighthouse keeper, Thomas Orcutt, who tries to convince Hobbs, hey man, you need to turn yourself into the authorities. This was an accident. You didn't mean for this to happen, but turn yourself in. It's the right thing to do. Turn yourself in. That would have been the right thing to do and quite appropriate thing to do. That's what he should have done. But instead, the desperate man, he learns that the sheriff is now dead. He goes into the chicken coop shack that he and Moses were squatting in illegally now at this point, And he kills himself. So it seems pretty obvious that this was not intentional. He did not set out that day to murder the sheriff. He didn't wake up, have a cup of coffee, and go, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to murder this dude today. No. You know, he was seen and heard by people apologizing and trying to frantically help after the shooting. But why on earth did he feel the need to bring the rifle that day when they were just supposed to have a talk about the living situation? Yeah, there was a chance that he was going to kick you guys out of that shack, right? But, I mean, you had it coming. And why did he say that the rifle was not even loaded when it clearly was? Did he really truly in his head believe that it was unloaded and he was just bringing the rifle as a way to intimidate the sheriff? Either way, I don't think that he saw the day ending with the sheriff dying and him killing himself. A true, true tragic tale that will forever be part of Wood Island's deadly history. Sorecut was the man who suggested to the intoxicated Hobbs to turn himself in. He served as the lighthouse keeper for Wood Island from 1886 up until 1905. His companion was a sweet dog named Sailor who was trained to ring the lighthouse bell. Boats, they would sound their bell or whistle as they passed by, And Sailor, he would salute them by grasping a cord that was attached to the bell's clapper, giving it a good hearty tug. Now, you know, Sailor, he was not your average dog. It is said that he was also a messenger. He would often carry things like letters to the destination it needed to go to and other small objects. And he understood many commands, more than your average dog. I mean, I'm not saying dogs are dumb. They're very, very smart and intelligent. I get that. But this dog just had a little more than your average pup. Now, Thomas would say this about his sweet companion, quote, Sailor and I are old comrades. Wood Island would indeed be a lonely place if I hadn't the dog to keep me company. He is a bright, intelligent companion and is perfectly content to live the life of a lighthouse keeper away from all dog friends. Sailor was very much loved and respected, and he will eventually die in his master, Thomas's loving and caring arms. Thomas dies himself just a few short months after his dog, man and dog, reunited. Sailor would not be the only animal to call the lighthouse home. Many of the lighthouse keepers had chickens here. One family even had a Maine Coon cat. I had the pleasure to see one in person, and oh my god, they are gigantic, gorgeous creatures. In the 1960s, the tower's Fresno lens and lantern are replaced by a FA-125 rotating airport beacon, and a foghorn replaces the fog bell. In 1976, that bell is then transported to the mainland and displayed in the yard of the harbor master. Now, soon, word begins to spread quite like wildfire, if you will, that the Coast Guard is planning to donate this bell to a museum in Delaware. (laughs) What? Understandably, this does not sit well with the locals, (laughs) who consider this an insult, taking away a part of their history a priceless, precious part of their history. Not wanting to part with the lighthouse bell, they actually chain it to a tree. It eventually ends up at the Union Church and later on to Vine's Landing. With the type of history that Wood Island has, like the murder-suicide between Hobbs and Milliken, it's no shocker that this location has long since been believed to be majorly haunted. Many think that the spirits of Milliken and Hobbes remain here, haunting the island in the island's lighthouse to this very day. Several have witnessed hearing the disembodied voices and moaning from the old shack where Hobbes took his own life after the death of Sheriff Milliken. The top of the lighthouse tower is another area where people have heard voices when nobody else is around. The lighthouse walkway is a site where people have seen dark shadows darting about. And sometime in the early 2000s, a medium was brought in and she communicated with who she really believed to be Hobbs, the man who killed the sheriff. They communicate with each other. He apologized for what happened. Now, remember that before the sheriff died due to his fatal wounds and before Hobbs killed himself, he apologized repeatedly. He even went to go try to find help. He apologized in life. And it looks like 127 years later, he is still apologizing in death. The apparition of a woman, she has been seen here as well. This is believed to be Milliken's wife, who bore witness to the shooting and the ultimate death of her husband. I can really only just imagine what this poor woman went through, seeing the love of her life being killed right in front of her. She must have thought, will she meet the same fate? From what I saw online, it looks like people are able to go and visit this lighthouse during the summer months, as there are... Tours and Friends of Wood Island Lighthouse. They offer daily water shuttles, so definitely check out Wood Island Lighthouse if you are in that area. Seems like a really neat place to go and venture throughout the place. So go for it. Now, if you do go, keep an eye out for the apparitions of Milliken's wife, Milliken himself, or Hobbs, as they are all believed to be here to this very day, haunting the grounds and the lighthouse. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Well, you know, there's no need to fret, my friends. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those phenomenal podcast platforms such as Apple Podcast, Blueberry, Spotify, Pocket Cast cast box. Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Brothers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Danzi, Belgium, Roseville, California, Slidell, Louisiana, Killeen, Texas, and Bassano del Grappa, Italy. As always, it is extremely appreciated. Thank you so much for making Paranormal Prowler's podcast part of your morning, day, evening, twilight, whenever you listen and wherever you're listening from, it is utterly appreciated. Have a story of your own to share? Want to be a voiceover for a future episode? Do you have an idea for a spooky topic? Please do not hesitate to reach out to me via email at paraprowl at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page. Thanks, everybody, and I will see you next week.